Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. No matter where you start, as long as you go in with a great work ethic and a great attitude to learn as much as you can, to constantly ask questions and to constantly be invested in your career and to work with people that are also invested in your career, I think that's probably the most important. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Chris Rosas, the Vice President of Global Tax and Treasury with Rackspace. I invited Chris on the show for a few reasons. First, as you'll hear later in the show, he was recently recognized by his alma mater for not only his achievements professionally, but also for the work he's done giving back to accounting students and up-and-coming professionals in the local community. Secondly, though, his career developed in what many would consider to be a non-traditional way. He actually started in industry and then moved into public accounting and then back into industry all the time growing along the way. It's really a fascinating path. If you have any interest in international tax specifically, this will be the perfect episode for you. And if you do feel like this episode is particularly valuable to you, please check us out online as well for additional accounting career resources. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have a written career-focused blog, all the other podcasts, of course, and a few books specifically focused on helping those in the accounting profession. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Chris Rosas, VP of Global Tax and Treasury with the tech company Rackspace. Hello, Chris. Thanks for making the time for us today. Well, thanks, Mark, for the opportunity and the invitation. No problem. Well, for our audience, we have Chris Rosas on the line with us today. And Chris is the vice president of Global Tax and Treasury at a tech company headquartered in San Antonio by the name of Rackspace. I initially came across Chris because he was recognized with an award from one of the local universities here at UTSA. But upon further research, I found that he filled a void we were looking to fill. We were looking for individuals that made a career in tax, but in industry instead of public, or at least at the present time. We recently had Audra Fahey from another publicly traded company in this area, but I didn't want to leave it at just one individual because everybody's story is a little unique, and I'm sure Chris's story has some unique points as well. Chris, before we get into all that, you know, where your role is today, and I know that's a discussion, you know, in and of itself, but I always like to start at the beginning so everyone gets an idea of, you know, sort of how you got started. What initially led you to think about accounting as a possible career in the first place? Great question. I started off in college as a management major, and as I started to meander my way through college, went to a few different universities for different reasons. But during that process, I started to accumulate a little debt. And so I figured I needed a major or a profession that I could get a job in pretty quickly. 
And so it wasn't that I was chasing a dream of being an accountant. I just had heard and talked to some various folks that said you could get a job in accounting. And that was a pretty easy decision for me at that point. You are the first guest to use the word meandered. (laughs) (laughs) I figure it's an easier way than all the crazy turns that it took early in my life. Well, I love that. And I'm only asking this in the spirit of helping those that are listening that have you know been non-traditional students and that kind of stuff. About how long were you meandering through college? I spent my freshman year at Texas A&M. And then okay. I transferred, and that's a really big school. And then I transferred to McMurray University in Abilene, which is a very small school, 1,500 total students. And then I came back home. I'm from San Antonio, came to UTSA, starting my junior year. And I was there through my rest of my undergrad and then my MBA. And during the last... I'd say three years of school, I was working jobs at the same time, so it was difficult to participate in the normal activities you see of students today, whether it be bed alpha psi or some other types of accounting or finance group. So really, when it came time to get an internship, I was behind on that process. And so when I look back and I talk to students, I try to guide them a little different direction than I took. Interesting. Did you actually have a formal internship? or I did. Okay. I did. I ended up getting an internship for the second semester of my senior year in undergrad with Clear Channel, and that's how I began my career in tax. Okay. I was curious how you ended up at Clear Channel. Was that, I have to ask, because international tax is you know, a unique area, different area. Is that where you started with Clear Channel, or, or how did you get it, into that? It was. I think oh, wow. in, in my experience, international tax is not a place where people normally start. It's usually where they end up after working in other areas of tax. I saw an ad on the job site at UTSA. It turns out the VP of tax at Clear Channel had just started teaching classes at UTSA for a couple of semesters and had had some luck with some interns during the summer. And then I came in in December of 99, specific for international tax. Clear Channel had expanded significantly. It was very acquisitive in the late 90s and had bought several companies that were in the billboard and outdoor street furniture business in, in both 99 and 2000. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's sort of a dream job to start out with. That's pretty cool. It was less than glamorous. The company was growing really quickly, and I had a a prop-up table in the kitchen next to the between the copier and the microwave. So it was not necessarily, (laughs) I would say, the normal office job, but I was really, really happy to have my own desk with my own pencils at that time. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Hey, while you're working on that corporate return, can you hand me my hot pocket? Yeah, it was, it was the worst part was when people started microwaving fish. That just made it awful to be sitting in there. <laughs> you do whatever it takes, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> needed that internship. <laughs> wow. Well, how long did you stay with Clear Channel, or, or how long in the international tax role? It was quite a ride. Started there in December of '99, and I ended up leaving in May of 2006. And oh. so while I was there, I went from intern. I got hired full time in May when I completed my undergrad got my MBA while I was there, got promoted up to manager, spent a couple years as a manager. And it was really a great time to be a clear channel and be a part of the company. During that time, even in 2000, they made two acquisitions that tripled the size of the company. And so it was just just an exciting time. I would say it was not your typical industry experience because of the level of the acquisitions. And then being in the international tax area, we were doing a lot of restructuring and planning about how to integrate operations and rationalize our legal entity structure. I mean, at one point, our legal entities were over 600, just on the international side. So it was a good time to just really get immersed in the international tax rules in the U.S. How does an international tax position differ from, you know, the typical tax position that an entry-level person would get? Is there anything you could put your finger on? I think that 
the reason people generally don't start off in international tax is that the tax code in general is written for domestic corporations or domestic operations. And then the international tax rules layer on upon that. So you start with the 300s, 700s or whatever, and then you get into the international tax rules. So going straight into international tax, you have to learn both at the same time. And so I think that's the challenge and why it's difficult to just to go right into it because your the learning curve is pretty steep. Okay. Okay. Actually, I was just curious because you're right. I haven't seen someone start in that area before. So that's sort of intriguing. And I think it's also, and it depends on what city you're in and which market you're in. San Antonio is a little different than Dallas or Houston in that we have a big population in San Antonio, a lot of people. We don't have a lot of large multinational companies. And so later in my career, when I did move to Dallas, it was a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say culture shock, but it was just different to see how the market for tax and for accountants in general differed. So being in San Antonio, I'd be able, being able to get that experience, I think, was just really kind of the right place at the right time. Okay. What took you to Dallas? So I was at Clear Channel, and I was working for a lot of great people. They were relatively young as well. They weren't all that much older than I was, and I wanted to continue to progress my career. And so I started looking at other opportunities. And at that time, I had finished my MBA, but I hadn't passed the CPA exam. Clear Channel did not necessarily pay for study materials. They didn't pay for the exam. So it was a financial consideration for me as I pursued it. But I started looking at at opportunities to move up, whether it be a manager, senior manager, director, or whatever it is at other companies. And they all wanted two things. They wanted public accounting experience, and they wanted somebody who had a CPA exam. And I didn't have either one. And so being in the international tax world, and that's where I spent my entire career at Clear Channel, I wanted to go get public accounting experience. I'd worked with all the big four firms, and so I knew I wanted to go do that. But to work international tax, I had to move to either Dallas or Houston. And so I made. I went and interviewed with a couple of the firms, ended up electing to go join PwC in Dallas in their international tax practice. Okay. I'm curious, at what point did you get your CPA certificate? Six months after I started at PwC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it became very important all of a sudden, huh? <laughs> it, well, it did because I was a manager at Clear Channel, and then I went in as a senior in PwC. Now, it wasn't necessarily all that bad because I got a raise, but at the same time, I wasn't going to be promoted to manager until I passed the CPA. So knowing that, it became really important that I get the, get it done so that I could get promoted to manager. Okay. How did your position at PwC differ from what you were doing at Clear Channel at that point? Because you're in international tax in both cases. And I mean, what were some of the differences that may not be obvious to someone? Yeah, I think that it was a humbling experience, if nothing else. <laughs> I mean, it was a great experience. I got to meet and work with some incredible people, both on the client side and at the firm. But I think the real difference was that I had spent a lot of time working at Clear Channel on a variety of international tax issues, some fairly complex. And when working at Clear Channel, we would call the firms. We'd call the people at PwC or EY or Deloitte or whoever we were working with on a project. And I'd be speaking to their managers, and they were always able to come back with answers. So going to PwC... The first thing I realized is that the people that I was calling didn't necessarily know all the answers. They just had access to a lot of people in a large firm where they could get answers. And so that was somewhat shocking to me that I was going to a firm and I was going to be expected to know a lot of stuff. But, well, I had all the resources there. So it was just understanding how that balance worked in client service. And I think the second thing is that while I felt like I was really good at international tax, I realized that I only knew one very small portion of how international tax applied to a very specific company with a specific set of facts in a specific industry, and that there was a whole world of international tax that applied to what we call or what is referred to as inbound companies, as well as outbound. And so Clear Channel was outbound and that we had a U.S. parent and foreign subsidiaries, but there was a lot of foreign-owned U.S. companies with a whole different set of rules that I hadn't even considered or even 
touched yet. I guess that's where the national office comes in, right? To to be a resource to you guys or Yeah, I mean the national office or even people in other offices that have experience in certain matters or that just think you have your national office and you also have your desks that are in New York that are working for other that are other countries. So you may have a person from that Dutch tax person who's sitting in New York so that they're in US time zones that can help you with Dutch tax issues, as an example. Okay. I wasn't aware of that. I've interviewed a few people now that I think that's the right term, worked at the national office and yeah. and they mentioned this a lot. Okay. A lot of research. I wasn't familiar with the desk, the specialized desk. Interesting. Oh yeah. The desks are a huge just they're great because a lot of times you have clients call you that have some time sensitive matters and you can't always get a call from a client at three o'clock and wait all the way until the next day for an answer. So the desks are there to help support the time zone. Predominantly say more Common countries you do business with, um, the UK, Netherlands, China, Japan, and they're great resources and they're there to help. Okay. What did you enjoy about your time at PwC? What was the best part um, of that? The best part of that, her name is Stacy. <laughs> That's my wife. I met my wife at PwC. So that was hands down the best part of joining the firm and being there. But <laughs> from a professional perspective, it was just fantastic to be surrounded by so many people that were very intelligent, very driven, and very client-focused and team-focused. And I really enjoyed that about the office that I was in and the team that I was on is that while everybody was generally, I'd say, type A and competitive, we were all working together and it was collaborative and we were all working together to make sure that our practice was succeeding and the greater office was succeeding. And that's one thing that I wanted to bring when I came to Rackspace is that same mentality. Okay. Did you stay in Dallas the entire time with PwC? I did. But being international tax, I never went overseas. So that was a, oh. <laughs> I used to go overseas and I was at Clear Channel once a year to work on our tax provision for our year-end financials, but went to Dallas with their international tax group and, and never once left the country. So it was kind of strange, I guess. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that surprises me. Actually, I would have thought it would have worked the opposite way. Huh. That's intriguing. And I, and I think the other part of being in public accounting that I didn't appreciate enough when I was at, when I was at Clear Channel was I mean, I always think that the most powerful thing you can have in your professional resume or toolbox is that is your network and understanding all the people you meet, whether it's within the firm or it's with clients, your network is, it just expands exponentially given the exposure you have to different people. So how long did you end up with PwC or how long were you with PwC? I was there a little over four years. So I started in May of 06 and I left in July of 2010. Okay. I'm just curious, was that around the time you were getting married? Did that? I got married in 2009, and then we had our first son in September of 2010. So not necessarily the marriage, but our first son, Gabriel. We decided that we wanted to get closer to home. My wife's from McAllen, which is south of Uh San Antonio, and we wanted to be closer to family with our first first child. And so the opportunity of Rackspace came up, and we deliberated a lot because my wife was... um, on a good track at PwC, so was I. And so it was, wasn't that there was anything wrong at the firm or the opportunities weren't there for us. So it, it made it a very difficult decision, but it's, it's one that I think we both are glad we made. Okay. Okay. I was curious if you came here here, and then the job at Rackspace popped up or, or how that works. So sounds like you came direct. I did. I did. It was, it, Rackspace is one of my clients that we had helped with their international tax planning. And so I was familiar with what they had done when I walked into the job. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Rackspace because yeah, I'm in the local area, so I, I'm familiar with some of the reputation, you know, all, all the interesting things about Rackspace. But tell the audience for those that aren't in this area what Rackspace does, what it is, that kind of thing. Rackspace is a hosting and cloud computing provider. And so you may hear terms out there like software as a service or platform as a service. 
Rackspace historically has been what they call infrastructure as a service. It's where you are, I hate to say renting or leasing time, but it's easier to visualize this way that you want to use a server, but you don't want to spend all the money up front to buy it and hire an IT person and have to pay for all the power that goes into it. And so you go to a company like Rackspace where we have the servers already ready. We will put them in a rack. We make sure they're powered 24-7, have internet, and they're never going to go down. And so instead of having to pay all that money up front, you consume it as a service over time and you pay a monthly amount as you go. And so the other way to think about it is IT as a service. Instead of having to staff up at your own internal IT department, you can outsource all that to Rackspace. Rackspace, when it first started and as it's grown, was primarily a company that serves small and medium-sized businesses that didn't have the resources to necessarily build their own data center and hire their own IT staff. As Rackspace has grown, we've started to become more of an enterprise player with customers that are a little larger that are looking to migrate out of their own data centers into someone else's. And so that's where we are today. I hope that helps and makes sense. Yeah. How large an organization is it these days, uh, you know, employee-wise or you know, just to give the audience an idea. We have around 6,500, 6,600 people. We have operations and I can't remember the count as of late, but probably about 15 different countries. The unique thing about our service is that we provide it over the internet to anyone in the world. So while we may have people in a few countries, people across the world in over 100 countries can consume our services. Interesting. So what role did you start out with when you transferred to Rackspace? So I started with Rackspace as a global tax director. And looking back, I was entirely, probably not the best qualified to take that role at the time. <laughs> it was, I was a little bit, I'd say, over my head at the outset. I, had known, I knew a lot about international tax, but I had totally underappreciated the amount I would need to know about sales and use tax and property tax that were going to hit my plate from day one. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, actually, I was curious about the domestic side because you were saying that, you know, international basically builds on the domestic tax law. So I wasn't sure if coming into this domestic was a piece of cake or. <laughs> or. Uh, yeah, the income tax piece wasn't as difficult because I had a, had some exposure to that. It was the transactional tax the non-income tax piece that was very complicated and it had a lot of visibility in the company because it was above the line. It was in our earnings before tax. It was hitting our metrics to hit our bonus. And so I had to quickly understand what we did as a business and why were these taxes applying to us and how can I best plan or learn more about them so that we can manage them better. And so that was, I'd say, a really steep learning curve over the first few months just to get a handle on that. Mm. Well, take us through that position where you are today. What were the different moves like and, and how has your role changed or progressed over time? So I was the, for about six years, I only had the tax department. I say only, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty complicated area, particularly for a company in the tech space and what we do, which is remote services or services over the internet. All the tax laws that were written from both a state and an international perspective didn't really contemplate this cross-border exchange of goods or services without any type of tangible aspect to them. The closest they get was software, but we're really not selling software, so it was pretty complicated. And what we did, all we did was hosting. And then over the years, this has become a big part of what Microsoft does, what Amazon does. And so it's become more in the forefront, even with how states have come across with the recent Wayfair decision about you don't need physical presence to create nexus. So this has been an area, even like right now, they're talking about the EU digital tax because they can't find a way to necessarily tax the revenues in a traditional way. So it was very complicated because the rules weren't quite there. And so I was having to 
really interpret our business and listen to advisors and come up with the right decisions to make as a company. And, and that wasn't always easy being the top tax person and not having someone there to readily bounce these things off of. So that was probably the hardest part. And then after a couple of years in the job, we had an issue where I think you kind of started to allude this, to this earlier about Rackspace. And it's known for its culture. It's known for the fanatical support. It's known for being a different place. The culture here is so unique. And we have these core values that we have. And we focus on strength. And when we expand to new jurisdictions, it's hard to take that culture and just hire somebody and teach it to them. And so we were taking people and transferring them across borders to different countries so they could seed that office with the fanatical way we do things. And in that process, we had expats all over the world that were all on different agreements that made it very difficult to be compliant. And so after a couple of years, we had enough issues with taxes that they put the global mobility practice in the tax department. And so I had somebody on my team that was handling the tax returns for 100 people that were sitting in different countries all over the world. So that was the first thing that came up. And I will say this, that materiality, when you're working with a company that's making billions of dollars in revenue, is not is pretty high. But if you're talking about an individual that is owing an extra $1,000 in tax, that is a huge number to them. While it may not be, big on the, be large in the grand scheme of the company, it is very meaningful. So it was kind of having two different levels of materiality, one for individuals and their own personal taxes and one for their company. And then around 2016, I took on the Treasury Department as well, which was interesting. And I think there's a lot of crossover between what I was doing in the tax world and what I would be doing in the Treasury world. And it all came to a head when we went private in 2016, because when we were going to go private, when Apollo came in and was going to do the acquisition, we had to find ways to fund the transaction. And I was well-positioned to know where all our cash balances were sitting in the world and how we could get them back with the least amount of tax applying to however we were going to bring it back, whether it be repayment, repaying debt, whether it be dividends. It just made, I had all the consolidated knowledge in order to make that happen. Interesting. I was, I was wondering how tax and treasury were linked in this respect, but that makes sense. You know, you know, anytime you need to move money across borders, you have to consider the tax consequences of it. And so I worked pretty, I mean, I've worked with Treasury over the years, but it wasn't until we were going to go private and we needed the cash back in the U.S. that things went a little bit, the volume got turned up to 11. And so we started having to move money in a much more deliberate fashion everywhere. Interesting. So what's a typical day or week look like for you now? Because that's been a few years. Uh, Yeah, but I will say at Rackspace, there is no typical week or month (laughs) or day. (laughs) It's given the industry we're in and how the company has been moving over the past few years with when we moved to public cloud and OpenStack, and then we started to move back into more managed hosting, and then we went private, and then we've been having new leadership in here. I mean, it's been a, it's really hard over the past eight plus years that I've been here to say that there's been any week that's been the same as the previous week. And I think that's what people both love about it and people also dislike about it, if, if that's not something that they, they enjoy or they're used to or can get accustomed to. But I mean, in general, it's just, I'm always meeting with different people. And I think that's one of the, the one of the fantastic things about Rackspace. We don't have offices. Everybody has, like, I don't want to call it a cube because that's giving it too much, too much credit. We all have desks and they're all in the open and you can go talk to anybody. And people will, if they come up, they will turn around and they will talk to you. It's not that they wave you off. It's a very collaborative environment. And so a lot of times what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to work with different people in different groups to understand what is the business doing? What kind of deals are we selling? What kind of products or services are we going to launch so that I can help them and help the company make the best decision from a tax perspective on how to deploy that 
to both tax the customer correctly in the event that happens, buy the gear in the right place with the least amount of tax, and then also understand how all those results are going to filter down to our corporate income tax returns and our transfer pricing that we're trying to deploy between all the jurisdictions we operate in. I was curious about that, thinking through what you were saying earlier about how the taxability of your services you know, has changed over time. Are you involved in the decision or your department involved in the decision of how something will be delivered to a customer or, or provided? Or um, I would say we're not necessarily how it's provided to a customer, but maybe how we invoice it. Okay. But we are a small part of that decision process. There is a larger comp- or consideration given to the gap consequences and how we recognize revenue. That's one of the things that is probably a bigger focus. And then I come in and say, well, if we do it this way or that way, this is how the tax will apply on that service or product. Okay. Okay. Well, your career has definitely been unique. It's not the typical path that we've seen <laughs> with a lot of you know, public <laughs> industry and you know, that, <laughs> that kind of thing. What do you think younger professionals, those just coming out of school, need to know or getting ready to come out of school need to know about making, you know, these career choices early on? You know, what do you wish you knew back when you were going through school or getting out of school? I, I wish I had a better knowledge of how the, I guess, I did, I went to a very unique situation where they were as a company. I think public accounting would have been a great place to have started. But given that I didn't really have a knowledge of what public accounting meant at that time and, and what it would do for my career, I think I ended up in a pretty good spot with a great company working with some great people. But I think that's probably the message I try to give to students is no matter where you start, as long as you go in with a, with a great work ethic and a great attitude to learn as much as you can, to constantly ask questions and to constantly be invested in your career and to work with people that are also invested in your career, I think that's probably the most important. I would always talk to students when I was recruiting I'd go on recruiting trips with PwC to, to various universities, and they'd be talking to all the big four firms. They'd be talking to us when I was at PwC. They'd be talking to EY or Deloitte or KPMG. And I'd tell them, like, if you're about to go to a job and you're about to spend more time working or, or at work with these people you're talking to than you will your family in a lot of instances. So find people you get along with, that you connect with, because we're all great firms. All the firms are awesome. They all have the same clients. They all have smart individuals that you can learn from. But you have to find the people that you have that you can connect with, not and not necessarily the people that you want to have fun with. I mean, that's that's one thing. I mean, it's one thing to want to go drink a beer with somebody and have a good time, but it's another thing to feel like these people are personally invested in your success and can also help grow your career. And I think that's probably the thing that I would stress on individuals is find a place where you can work with people that are going to be invested in you. I'm curious. You know, part of success is you know, being in the right place, but the other part is taking advantage of it and doing the right things, <laughs> you know, while you're there. Absolutely. And Clear Channel ended up being a wonderful start for you. Looking back now, is there anything that you can, you know, point to that, not to be egotistical, but from the learning perspective that you feel like you did right? Work ethic or, you know, finding the right mentor or, or getting on the right team, anything that you look back and you're thankful for? Yeah, I think it was... I think probably the one thing that I did that I didn't see other folks doing at the time was when it got to be around six o'clock, most people were leaving and I'd always, pretty much every day I'd stop by my boss's office or it was really my, I guess my boss's boss's boss. It was, it was somewhere up the chain, <laughs> but I stopped by his office every day. I'd say, is there anything else I can do for you today? And I'd say three out of five days here, I'd say 60% of the time he would say, no, I'll see you tomorrow. But then there was that 40% where he'd say, yes, or maybe can you just wait around for a little while? And this is a time before I had uh, my own computer at home. So a lot of times I was even studying at work, so I'd stay there and, 
and do stuff there. But in sometimes I would wait around from six to eight. He'd show up at eight and I'd be working till 10. But it was in those moments when I was sitting there and the only other people there were the international tax director and the VP that I got to get pulled into projects and work on things that other people weren't, weren't getting exposed to. And so I think that was one thing that benefited me early on. And also, I think it's, also, it's really important to be able to take critical feedback and not take it personal. Pretty good at that. Humble enough. I had been humbled enough during my life to understand that <laughs> I wasn't perfect. These people were just trying to make me better. And so I think that's something else you just need to be prepared for. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a theme that's come up several times in the last dozen podcasts or so that, you know, put in the extra effort before you have the promotion. You know, not wait till you get the promotion and then, oh, I'll work harder. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's a good point. Definitely. Well, tell us about the award you received at UTSA. I saw it, but it was a while back when we were scheduling. I don't remember the details. Yeah, it was the uh, Counting Alumnus of the Year. And one of my favorite people in the world, Stephanie Davis, she's the VP of Tax at Valero, had won this won it a long time ago. And it was her example. And she was the person who was that professor that ran, one that was teaching at UTSA that started getting interns at Clear Channel a long time ago. And I watched her. I really watched how involved she was with the university and in connecting with students and being a part of their advisory board and helping out with their scholarship efforts. And so I started participating in that back in the early 2000s. I mean, I might have been a senior or experienced staff, and I was already trying to do what I could with the university, with these students to try to try to help, only because I wasn't too far away or too far removed from being a student myself. And I, I felt I could appreciate what they were going through with, okay, I need to find a job and how do I get a job and what do I need to do when I get there and what is it like being a, a young person in a company. And so it's just been a passion of mine to be involved with the university. And so I've kept that, even when I was at PwC, I was trying to do recruiting visits back at, at UTSA when I could. Um, and then when I got to Rackspace, now, once I was back in San Antonio, I, I uh, definitely put a lot more effort into it because I was close by. And so I host students for Beta Alpha Psi and Alpha during the semester. They'll reach out. We'll give them office tours of Rackspace. I'll meet with them after and talk about careers in accounting. I help with the scholarship golf tournament that they have every year with the Department of Accounting. I've been doing that on the committee for quite some time. I'm on the accounting advisory board. With there, we have a formal mentorship program. And so I get, um, I guess, assigned a student or a mentee. And so I try to help that way as well through that formal mentorship. But usually I meet students along the way and I serve as an informal mentor. So it's, I think it was just all the aggregation of the stuff that I'm doing with the university and for the Department of Accounting that they honored me with the award. And I was very proud to receive it. But I mean, I just really have been with those accounting students. Uh, I mean, even at PwC, I saw that there was the way the partners stayed connected with their old universities and would talk to the professors and be able to create this pipeline into their firms for the students at their alma mater. And I kind of felt that I could do the same thing for UTSA. Wow. That is special that they recognized you. And you're a busy guy and you're still finding time to give back. That's neat. That's neat. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I want to be respectful of your time, so I want to go ahead and get to those. Okay. The first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Um, probably not the easiest, but I think, I think the moment I felt the most pride from a work perspective was, was when we got acquired by Apollo. They had come in, and we had an extensive tax diligence exercise, and... Um, we passed. I mean, we didn't have any issues that were flagged. And then Apollo came down, announced the acquisition. And one of the guys on my team went and saw the Apollo partner and went and 
introduced himself. And he's like, oh, tax, where's Chris? And so they, he went and he found me and he said, look, we go to this company. We buy companies all the time. We do all the diligence. But you guys had already run all the plays that we normally see. And you guys are doing a great job running a great ship here, or whatever the right term is. I can't remember what he said. But it was just that acknowledgement from somebody who goes and buys companies and looks at their tax skeletons all the time. And, and we pass with flying colors. Pretty good. <laughs> a relief, too, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for some people, the second question is the easiest. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. But but frankly, the bigger that you're able to share, the better. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the one that always sticks with me, it wasn't big, but it was embarrassing, I guess. <laughs> it was my first busy season, which was relatively stressful. We had just moved into the new building at Clear Channel. And we had found out at early in May, like I had just started full time, that our extension wasn't approved and we were going to have to file our federal return like within a week or two. And we had 354.71s to file. And so everybody was freaking out. We ended up getting our extension until September, but it was just a, a mountain of work and everybody was on edge and the team still wasn't fully built out. So we were all kind of, everybody was, was trying to do as much as they could. But I remember after that, after that busy season, I had my first review and at one point, I had put the wrong work papers in the wrong file. I don't know how I got it messed up, but I was dating a girl at the time and she kept calling me. And so people could hear me, my phone ringing and stuff. And so my, uh, the, my manager called me in and said, he said, you need to spend less time talking to your girlfriend and more time focusing on your work. <laughs> it was very, uh, <laughs> he didn't split hairs. I mean, he just got to the point. He's like, it's unacceptable to have the wrong work papers in the wrong file. Okay. Noted. <laughs> never happened. It's never happened again, but it was pretty embarrassing that they, Blamed it on my private conversations that I was having at my desk. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, that's just funny. If it makes you feel any better, when I was engaged and my wife was, or my fiance at the time was planning the wedding and everything, this was before cell phones. And so, yeah, I was getting all these calls at work and they had a phone monitoring system and I got called in for the amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little I, I understanding, thought... but not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had one more thing I did, It was, which was, I think it's, just, it's a funny story, being here at Rackspace. I had hired this intern who was super smart, super smart guy. And we had this complicated calculation because people were granted equity and they were traveling overseas or they're between countries. And so we had to bifurcate how much of their investing was taking place and when they were in which country. And so I said, you know, can you build me a spreadsheet that, that can do all these calculations for me? And so... I thought it would take a couple of days, maybe a week. And after about a week, I'd walk by his desk and it looked like the matrix. There was weird stuff going on his screen. I just didn't quite understand. I was like, okay, it doesn't look like Excel, but I'm going to let him, I'll just leave him alone for now. And then a couple of days later, he came up to me and said, hey, Chris, I'm done. I was like, oh, okay, cool. What is it? He says, I built a SQL database that can do all this. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome, but I don't know how to use that. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. And then he's running it and showing me, I'm like, well, where is that? Where did you put that? He's like, oh, it's on my home server. I was like, okay, that's a bad idea because oh. this has employee names, social security numbers. I'm like, you got to get it off that. Put it on a Rackspace server, spin up a cloud server, put it on. You know, that's what we do. We do infrastructure. And so all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes later, I see the guy that runs our security walking around the office. They're walking around the rows. Oh, no. And I'm like, uh oh. And so he comes over. He says, did you have this person put some information on a cloud server? I said, yes. Yeah, I did. I, is that bad? He's like, I'd rather leave $50,000 on my doorstep than put anything like that on our cloud server. I said, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll take it down right now. Sorry about that. I didn't realize. So that was, uh, 
which is an interesting it was wow. a mistake, but and could have been big, I guess, but it was just uh, again more embarrassing <laughs> than anything when you, else. When you hire enthusiastic team members, you know that's the thing yeah. that happen, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, but, it, but it's pretty cool. That kid is now, or kid, that student is now, now has a bioscience startup in Seattle that he's doing. So, I mean, it's, he's, it was just kind of neat to be a part of that kid's career. That's awesome. Wow. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and shut it down. Okay. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So, my father, a long time ago, I guess, like in early 2000s, he was a former salesperson. He was in sales with IBM and he told me that I needed to do a sales training. Even though I wasn't in sales, everyone's always in sales. So he had me do a sales seminar that he was putting on with the time he was working with a small business development center for UTSA. So he had a free sales training he was doing for small business owners. And so I went into it and I remember what the guy looked like, but he said something in that that I always kind of stuck with me. And he said, it's a lot of people think it's who you know, not what you know, but who you know. But what he said was, it's not who you know, it's who knows what you know. And I always thought that was really important, especially as you build a network and the people you connect with understand the value you can bring and to their organization or to any organization, I think is probably more powerful than just knowing folks. So I've always tried to treat my interactions as such, is to make sure that the people that I interact with, they're um, aware of my capabilities and the type of value that I bring to both my organization and any organization. Interesting. Yeah, that's a much different way of looking at it. Much more practical. Interesting. Beautiful. Well, thank you. That's really good advice to end this on, Chris. That it really is. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Chris's episode, plus all the show notes for all of our episodes. We have links to certification information, and we have some books as well to help you with your career. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. Chris, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? The one thing that I tell students now, and if anybody's listening to this, it's I think it's really important that this whole work-life balance, people talk about that, and I think it's up to every individual to decide what their balance is. It's not 40 hours a week for some people. It won't be for me. It's just not the way I work. And I think it's up to every individual to decide. So as you go forward, make sure you decide what balance you need. That's good insight. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.